Welcome to the School for Healthcare Entrepreneurs, the only podcast that provides actionable insights into the healthcare industry. Brought to you by Emitter, the leading communication platform for your healthcare business. Hello and welcome everyone uh, to another episode of School for Healthcare Entrepreneurs. I'm Samiksha, your host, and I have with me today Andrew McCartney who's an experienced genetic counselor and also the founder for Clover Genetics. Um, good morning, Andrew. It's great to have you here with us today. Good morning. It's great to, great to be here as well. Thanks for having me. Um, great. So before we start with the, the questions that we have for you, um, we would love for our audience to know a little bit about you, what you do, and the experience that you come with, just so that we can set the context for the podcast. Sure. Um, so I, uh, I've i been a genetic counselor um, since 2015. And just to give you a little context of what a genetic counselor is. Um, so we're healthcare providers who are uh, licensed and certified, much like any other healthcare provider, and particularly focus on providing counseling around genetic testing, genetics in general, risk assessment. Um, so in a very quick nutshell, that's what a genetic counselor is. Um, and I've been a uh, genetic counselor since 2015. And uh, I've worn a number of different hats. Um, so uh, initially out of graduate school, I worked at the Children's Hospital here locally um, and had a couple of different roles um, involved within inpatient care, uh, as well as utilization management, which I'll probably get into a little bit later. Um, and then I've also worked at um, a, a genetic testing lab, a commercial-based lab, um, really doing everything under the sun there. Um, and then most recently, as of 2020, approximately, had founded Clover Genetics um, and have been working working on building that ever since. Um, so that's, uh, you know, a little bit about me and my, and my various roles and such. And I'm happy to go on into a little bit more detail on any of those. Great. Um, yes, definitely. And uh, we're so glad. I mean, your experience is what inspired us to have you on the podcast. And, you know, we believe our, learn, our uh, listeners can also benefit from that. And you mentioned that you've, you know, worn a couple of hats and recently you decided to, you know, found Clover Genetics. So what led you to, you know, uh, what at what stage did you decide that, OK, I've I've explored enough and I want to start something of my own. So, I mean, wh when did that start? How was that journey like? Sure. Um, so that was a little bit of a stepwise process, and I think based a little bit on my previous roles. Um, so the way we we set up the 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 practice and uh, the clinic at uh, Clover um, is very similar to uh, one of the clinics that I helped start at Children's. Um, so one of the challenges with uh, genetics care in general um, is that there are very few geneticists and very few genetic counselors um, in relation to the, the population and compared to um, you know, other types of physicians or, you know, physician extenders, which I would have, uh, you know, genetic counselors fall under. Um, so that that issue was being seen at the hospital where there was very large wait times um, to have individuals seen for, um, you know, basically a concern for a genetic condition or something like that. So um, we, uh, within the Children's Hospital, essentially built up a GC-only clinic, um, and, which is a little bit different than what's typical, where it's usually a geneticist and a genetic counselor seeing patients to provide care. But that's a lot of um, you know, time and expertise. Uh, and it led to you know, six plus one, 
uh, wait times. So um, this, this clinic that we built was a GC-only clinic working with referring providers um, and really just really cut down on wait times um, and uh, improvement of the testing that we ran and all of that. Um, so seeing the, the improvements and benefits, um, even just in a health system to, to utilize a clinic like that um, was kind of the first step there. Um, and then as I moved on from that role, uh, working in laboratory as a laboratory genetic counselor, I, I really saw, you know, there was gaps in terms of education, both at the physician level who are ordering genetic testing, as well as in terms of costs uh, for to, to obtain uh, genetics and some of the other varied labs have different cost models and it was basically seeing a lot of issues in terms of access to care um, and education around genetics. So having you know both of those those big pieces kind of form form my experience and always wanting to to really break out on my own so to speak. Um, I, I have a really good friend who actually started their own private practice for, for counseling and having those types of role models I thought you know I think uh, I think I, I could not to say that I could do do it better but I think there was you know a need that wasn't being met in terms of access to, to care especially in rural areas. Um, so it was an iterative decision, um, gathering those experiences over time in the last, uh, I suppose, seven years at this, this point, um, deciding to really uh, start, start the company and see if uh, we could do things a little bit better. Great, great. And um, I believe you mentioned that there, you know, there's a difference in how uh, genetic counseling is approached as towards other healthcare um, practices in the healthcare industry. Um, especially in the rural areas. So how did you, you know, um, sort of identify this gap and, you know, what is it that you're doing at Clover Genetics to, you know, build that gap or work towards it? Uh, sure. So in terms of identifying the gap, uh, it, it initially came through that, that, uh, that experience at, at the Children's Hospital uh, of seeing that um, through various conversations with the, the, the senior administration and otherwise looking at different metrics, noting that there was a very large catchment area for one specific children's hospital, which sees, sees a lot of genetics care, um, and, and seeing that there was a lot of volume coming in from three, four hours away, um, which is you know prohibitive um, at, a, at a certain degree. And that's in, in Pennsylvania, where you know it, it's generally speaking, compared to, say, you know, the Midwest and other areas in the states uh, is is less rural, but there certainly are rural areas. So um, doing uh, additional research, um, working with some of the, the genetic, uh, there's a, a state-based uh, NIMAC, uh, New York, Mid-Atlantic consortiums, uh, and they have them all over the, the U.S. Uh, discussing this. Um, was able to really dig in and identify that there was a limitation uh, there. So that's, that's really how uh, kind of came to realize that. Um, and in answering the first part of the question, I forgot the second half. <laughs> uh, no, we were just trying, I was saying that, you know, um, while you did that, like you were trying to identify the gap, what is it that you're doing at Clover Genetics to, uh, you know, sort of help bridge that gap? But I think you somewhere answered that question along with what you just said. Yes, yeah, I would say, you know, I think identifying was one thing and then utilizing telehealth um, and uh, exploring a lot of the challenges with uh, state licensure and making sure we had appropriate coverage. And uh, really, it's leaning on the, the technologies of telehealth um, and, and the, the regulatory and, and making sure to follow the regulatory landscape was uh, big, the two big pieces there. 
Um, I just want to emphasize a little bit more on uh, the telehealth aspect of genetic counseling and, you know, why you thought, and I understand the reach of telehealth is way more than just a physical practice, but um, how did you leverage telehealth, especially, um, so it, as you mentioned, like 2020 was when you started with Clover Genetic, that was when the pandemic had hit. So how did you navigate all of that together? Um, so I think uh, the the first big thing was you know um, realizing that there there um, there's pockets of where genetic counselors are more densely populated than than others. Um, so you know it's it it was identifying that as one piece as well as the patients and you know having them be in two different locations was was a challenge. Um, and you know really from the start even in my graduate program I, I've always focused on technology. Um, what are the uh, big tools for genetic counselors is actually pedigree drawing. Um, so, you know, taking a family history and drawing that into a, a pedigree or family tree. Um, so, you know, just seeing the improvements in terms of engagement from individuals using that type of technology, I knew, you know, there's there's always ways to do things a little bit better. So it was really just a matter of finding, okay, what is the most effective uh, means of providing telehealth um, and, um, you know, really just making sure that we had a workflow that uh, properly put everything together and was streamlined for, for all individuals in terms of, you know, with uh, family history and personal history, it's a lot of intake and such. So we had to be mindful of creating a questionnaire that uh, was conducive to being done on you know, an electronic form versus going to an office and making sure that the follow-ups uh, worked at a, at a remote um, site rather than when someone's in, in office. So it was really just, you know, putting together all the different pieces to make sure that um, it, it created a conducive um, workflow. Got it, got it. Um, just uh, following up on that and as for my learning, I just wanted to understand uh, that I still believe there is a little gap in the amount of awareness that, you know, individuals have about genetic counseling, its benefits. Um, how do you think that is changing now in the healthcare industry? And, you know, how do you uh, what do you foresee as the future of genetic counseling? Oh, yeah, that's that's a great, great question. I would say, you know, there absolutely in the past has been um, a lack of awareness toward the value of, you know, genetic testing and that that goes uh, along with genetic counselors as well. Um, and I think it's it's really uh, changed over time, certainly in terms of um, cost of testing has come down, um, a, a training in terms of different medical trainings and in medical school genetics has has improved somewhat I, I think there's still a long way to go there um, but that along with uh, you know really a, a adoption by um, you know the, not the masses but you know everyone everyone who is more aware of genetics in terms of um, and I, I have some hesitations and concerns with direct-to-consumer testing like 23andMe and ancestry DNA there are risks to doing that um, but it really has um, you know created this greater awareness of, of genetics and, and the value um, of, of it. And I think along with just, again, improved um, efficiency and cost for, for testing um, has, has helped that along the way. And, um, you know, I think those are some of the big, big pieces there that have really pushed, pushed things forward. Um, and I do see that continuing over time as, you know, there's further education um, and 
we just continue to learn more in terms of genetics and it, it, it does have a big impact on care sometimes. Um, so, you know, I think it'll just continue to, to develop um, as we move forward. Great. I mean, that was really helpful. I also uh, noticed that, you know, uh, there's a little bit about uh, where you tend to teach a few other genetic counselors. Um, how do you think, um, you know, why did you start that initiative of, you know, helping other genetic counselors uh, learn more about genetic counseling, genetic testing, and how is that turning out? Sure. Uh, so I think one of the big challenges with uh, genetic counseling is there's not enough genetic counselors and it takes genetic counselors to train more, but they're also overworked because there's too many patients to see. So there's this unfortunate vicious cycle there a little bit, which is, is improving. And there's projections, I think, in the next 10 years, they'll actually get to a level that's consistent with uh, demand as it is presently. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things I've, I've always been passionate about um, and, and I've recognized even from you know, my first, first two prior roles to this is that there is a gap gap in knowledge uh, for genetics and one of the things that has always just truly really brought me joy is, is educating others and you know providing uh, you know um, a, a means of uh, you know learning more about about genetics and I, I've truly really, really enjoyed working with um, students be they you know those in graduate school for to to be a genetic counselor even prior to that um, so we have um, you know, a, a mentorship program as well. So really it's just been something I've always integrated into every every role I've had in some way. So it, it, it was natural to, to continue to do that. There's a lot of um, individuals, regardless of age or where they are in their uh, career that have just so many wonderful ideas or uh, in terms of, you know, providing education to individuals or providers um, and, um, just have so much value to share um, that, you know, giving them a platform just felt like a very um, important thing to do, both to grow Clover Genetics, but also grow them as professionals and, and you know, improve advocacy in terms of different areas of healthcare um, and such. Yeah, I mean, that was really helpful. I understand uh, the entire idea of, you know, not just being there as practitioner, as you know, somebody who practices genetic counseling, but also sharing that knowledge and educating those that are upcoming in the field. Um, that was uh, that was really helpful. I'm sure I have learned enough about what the importance and scope of genetic counseling looks like in the future. But uh, shifting focus a little bit, I wanted to understand your journey. Um, you know, the shift from a healthcare professional to that of now being a founder and running your own practice. Um, and I believe it requires some level of transition to transition from a scientist to somebody who's a business owner now. And uh, since that is also a goal of our podcast, uh, would you like to like tell us a little bit about what that journey looked like and you know how you could effectively transition or you know incorporate both those roles that you are doing currently? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it certainly was was challenging of a transition and, and took quite quite some time. Uh, you know, as genetic counselors, training programs already struggle to include the necessary genetics uh, along with the psychosocial skills necessary for a well-rounded professional without the business aspects. Um, so you know, uh, it was it was certainly a learn on the job task for for the most part. Um, and you know, just creating the structure for uh, marketing, workflows, HR, um, and and really 
how to properly advocate and negotiate for business contracts is, is was was a big learning curve as as well. Um, but the things that really helped me was really experience in my previous roles. Um, so working at a, a large uh, healthcare system um, in a hybrid role, uh, both working in the clinic as well as in utilization management. Um, and what utilization management is, is basically um, reviewing of, uh, in this case, genetic testing um, to make sure that it's uh, the most appropriate for the per patient um, at the best time. And it, it looks at things like cost um, and, you know, diagnostic rates, as well as working with uh, the insurer, local insurers, um, and administrative staff. Um, so through, through those experiences, I really learned a lot about um, the healthcare industry at, at, at large and how that can impact the, the individual um, patient as well as the, the business aspects as well as, uh, you know, reimbursements and credentialing and all of that. Um, and I also found, you know, working at uh, the genetic testing lab that I worked for, um, I, I was involved a lot with the business development and management of creating workflows and such. So, you know, having those those types of experiences, I think, are really important. Um, you, certainly, you can you can just uh, without any experience start start a business, but there'll be a steeper learning curve of you know not not having those experiences and not knowing the things that may may trip you trip you up. Or um, so I think. That, that was fairly important. And then really just having role models and mentors uh, has been, um, you know, invaluable uh, just to have someone to say, no, you're, you're doing things right. Or, you know, from my experience, uh, this, this is what I did uh, just to give you kind of a, uh, a compass of where, where to go next, or if you run into challenges. And then certainly uh, before I, you know, put, put anything in terms of a website together, otherwise just a lot of reading and, and videos of, different books of how to start a healthcare business and just business in general. Um, so those were the, the things that I, I would say helped me the most. Great. Uh, you mentioned you were referring to certain books and videos um, and websites. Would you like to share with the audience what some of those were, uh, you know, just so that they can go back and refer to them or learn from them? Gosh, um, to be perfectly honest, I'm trying, it, it was a little while now, I'm looking over at my bookshelf now if I have any of them, and my recall is not good with book titles, so, um, it, you know, it started as a quick Google search of, of, you know, what are the best, best ones to start a healthcare business, um, but but none are sticking out to me right now, apologies there. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay, we can share with the listeners later. Um, so a little bit about, uh, you know, I understand that your journey, you were working um, with the the Children's Care Hospital and then moving to a founder. I just wanted to understand from you how, um, you know, how do you think technology played and you did move to a telehealth counseling service. So how do you think, not just in genetic counseling, but how do you think technology overall is um, working in the industry and uh, how is that adding value to the entire healthcare sector? Sure. Um, so I would say, you know, the big the big things that I think um, impact the entire sector is access to to care. Um, so there's now numerous uh, telehealth telehealth platforms available. Um, you know, both for genetic counselors and and more broadly that um, allows expertise that may not be physically present in one area. Um, 
to provide impact in, in areas that again don't have that expertise. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly read things in terms of you know distant consults, but other beyond that, or even surgeons, you know, with different robotic technologies uh, providing surgical services over great distances. And I think um, it, it just uh, again provides the high quality. Uh, and benefits of uh, this type of care that are typically relegated to major metropolitan areas to a much broader area, um, and I think that just again improves improves healthcare in, in general for for individuals. Um, and I, I think, in terms of the uh, you know the business side, it, it certainly is first along competition and um, you know improvements in terms of. Uh, you know the cost and, and and diagnostics, and I, I think in terms of you know specific to genetics, um, telehealth has really um, you know um, provided uh, a platform and a, a greater ability for individuals who want to get into a specific area of medicine, if that's genetics or otherwise, uh, the ability to do so and be less limited by by their location and other things. So it, it improves access to the field as well, I would say, you know, certainly there's still requirements for, for training and, and to be physically present, but um, I think it, it, uh, it diversifies uh, the, the field as well in, in some, some aspects. Definitely. I mean, I believe like now with growing technology, um, patient care has become more um, approachable and it has improved drastically. And if we look at technology on the other aspect, which is the administrative aspect of things, you know, where you're managing marketing, HR, different teams, compliances, how do you think technology has seeped in there? And, you know, how is that helping? Is is it Has it been of any help to you? Are you using something particularly to ease um, all those processes? Yes, yes. So I would say it's uh, both created um, and solved uh, problems there. So one of the challenges with genetic counseling, uh, as with many healthcare providers, is licensure is at the state level, but not every state actually has licensure laws on the books. Um, so because we have the ability to see anyone anywhere, um, we have to be very mindful of ensuring that we have licensure in the state that the, the genetic counselor is in, as well as where the patient's located. Um, and some of the technologies we have have allowed us to, you know, create a, a workflow of uh, the patient selects where they're located and such, so that that's, uh, you know, basically an automated process. Um, but, you know, it's um, it's uh, having, you know, 50 states and keeping up on those. There, there's actually a, bu uh, a business that popped up specific for genetic counselors to keep track of all their licensures and all of that um, and and certainly that's that's already existed for uh, you know physicians prior but this is a fairly new company for genetic counselors and i think that was really cool cool to see there and they're again leveraging a specific um, software that they created to to do so um, so i think those those are just some of the the growing pains as as uh, technology allows us to see patients uh, everywhere so to speak wherever there's an internet connection that um laws and you know the regulatory landscape needs needs to catch up at the the federal level in the US for instance um, genetic counselors actually aren't recognized as healthcare providers so we can't bill through medicare or medicare um, and otherwise so there's some uh, lack of access in terms of insurance and payment uh, that's 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 a challenge that's you know again being pushed for but at this point um, is, is lagging behind a little bit in terms of the, the technology which I, I suppose seems to always be the case <laughs> 
No, I mean, I'm sure things will catch up. Um, and, you know, what do you think is, if you look at, like, the problem that you just told me about uh, not having enough regulatory level barriers, um, how do you envision technology? Um, I mean, if I, if I ask you if we have a software, you know, that can ease all that process, how would you envision something like that to be? And how could, you know, that just ease out all this process of, accessing uh, having access to patients and uh, counselors across the states oh so that's the yeah that's a great question so i think um there's there's already some technologies there but they're lacking so you know there's these uh for instance the national society of genetic counselors holds a uh, i guess a, a registry would be the word i would use uh, that lists all the different genetic counselors their specialties where they're located um, but then it's really up to the patient to then reach out directly to those providers and, and to then um, see if they're able to be seen. So if there was a truly integrated process where you had every single genetic counselor and could say, okay, this is what I need. And it went right into uh, a uh, automated service where it emails out says, okay, here's, um, you know, here's what we provide here. Here's the information that we need to, to see you. Um, I think for some folks that uh, could help ease some of the barriers of making that first contact, which can be, you know, very stress inducing. Um, you know, certainly other folks want want that in person or, you know, a person on the phone and, and providing that as well. Um, but, you know, I think that having that uh, aspect will, will improve things. And then in terms of genetic, genetic testing, um, you know, in the technology side, uh, there's certainly been, been discussions of, you know, doing one and done in terms of, you know, a very broad test like whole genome sequencing and then accessing that over time, over the lifetime to specifically pull out specific information as it's needed. Um, you know, obviously there's uh, ethical as well as, you know, just pragmatic challenges with holding all of that data and, uh, you know, appropriately securing it and otherwise. But I do see um, certainly some companies have discussed or, you know, are, are trying to use that type of model. Um, but there's been a lot of uh, cutbacks in the industry side of uh, genetic testing recently. Um, and I think tech overall, we've kind of seen, seen this recently, but um, I, I think, you know, over time as that, that uh, industry matures, um, we, we may see more, more of that as the cost of the technology goes down. Okay, I mean, I, I, I sort of understand what you're getting to. It's it's a community that is easily approachable and has all these compliances and regulatory biases sorted out is, mm -hmm. I think, you're talking about. Yes, essentially. <laughs> okay. Um, just a little bit, I wanted to understand about uh, Clover Genetics. And, you know, uh, I'm sure our readers can benefit from this, those in the genetic counseling field and otherwise also in the healthcare industry is that, you know, uh, acquiring patients is a constant challenge for not just um, big practices, but also especially for smaller practices like yours. And we work with about a thousand plus healthcare practices. And therefore, we know, you know, it's, it's a constant challenge for them to acquire patients and to retain patients that they have. Um, and I believe with you, as the awareness is growing, things would be getting better because people are becoming more informed. But how do you, how are you still tackling uh, these challenges? And you know, what is it that you're doing so that you know, uh, you're growing your business constantly? Sure, sure. So yeah, I would say, you know, um, 
retaining and you know even identifying referring providers has and I think will be will be a challenge. Um, you know we're we're you know three almost four four years old at at this point, but um, building those relationships with healthcare referring healthcare providers, typically physicians, um, is is a slow process. So you have to build that trust, and there's always a barrier to get between the uh, the front staff and the the physicians. Um, so we have focused uh, on. And that's actually a big goal for this year is to to focus on those types of relationships at a, at a greater level. Uh, but we've also worked on um, in, including ourselves uh, in all the different types of healthcare provider registries out there so that we're able to be um, located uh, by, by patients directly or, or physicians as well. Um, so the NSGC uh, has a website called findageneticcounselor.com. So we have uh, a great majority of our uh, self-referrals come from there, um, as well as we have some wonderful folks on the, the team, uh, a few, few of the interns that, that work on our social media and, and um, provide uh, different means of, you know, small fun facts and information about genetics that, um, you know, can help identify where, where needs may be and, and, you know, just improving that. So I would say, it's, it, again, I think the organic challenge over time is, again, building that referral network, which, which just takes time and building that trust. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the other area that we, we have focused on but has been a bit more of a challenge is contracting directly with labs or other foundations. Um, but when contracting with another uh, company or group, there's, there's always challenges in how they want something done, which may not work with our workflows. And so it's, uh, you know, almost and at times, uh, you know, more than a year process to, to go from first meeting to, to having that. So, um, you know, I think, I think over time as awareness improves, uh, both physician referrals and self-referrals will, will continue to, to um, you know, increase, but it uh, takes time for sure. Definitely. I mean, all the best to you and your practice. And I'm sure, you know, with knowledge is power and with that growing, things will change and shape up in the field of genetic counseling as well. Uh, I do not want to take much of your time. So we'll just try and wrap this up. Uh, but it has been great having you. And um, our listeners would love to, you know, reach you. And um, what's the best way that they could? Because I believe that, you know, we have listeners who are also willing to say, uh, either venture in genetic counseling or uh, start their own business or set up their own practice. So, um, what is uh, what's the best way to reach you? Sure. So I would say probably email is is best, um, and that's just my name, uh, Andrew McCarty M C C A R T Y at clovergenetics.com. Um, you can also go to our website clovergenetics.com, and there's. Uh, my face is on there and other locations as well, or we have a direct, uh, you know, website form. So any of those, and you mentioned you want to speak with me, I'll happily uh, find, find the time. Any piece of advice that, you know, you would have for somebody who's just um, starting out, setting up their own practice, what you think, you know, out of your learning or experience, what is that advice that you would give to them? I would say, you know, really just, make uh make some connections with folks who have you know gone gone through it even if it's something peripheral having having a good mentor or you know someone to go to that you trust um is is truly invaluable um you can you can learn everything that you want to learn but just having that support i think really makes the the process uh a lot smoother 
definitely i mean having mentors is what helps shape uh, us into who we are great it was great having you andrew uh, we would love if you could recommend someone uh, our listeners could benefit from um, and you know we could host them on the podcast to keep this an evergreen uh, process Sure, absolutely, and I think yeah, kind of on that that same theme of mentors, uh, a good friend and mentor of mine, uh, Jessica Shad. She she is an owner and, and operator of the Counseling Initiative, which is a also a private uh, practice that focuses on uh, mental health counseling. And I've I've really drawn a lot of uh, experience from them, and they have a wonderful organization over there. So um, I think if they were interested, I uh, I think they'd be very great to have on. Great, definitely. We will reach out to her and uh, hopefully we can bring her for our audience soon. Wonderful. Thank you, Andrew. It was great having you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emitter's Podcast. Want to learn how you can reduce your new patient missed calls and grow your practice by 40% today? Take a look at emitrr.com. 